Christian tradition. I'm your host, Father Wesley Walker, and we have arrived at the conclusion of St. Anselm's work, Cur Deus Homo. But before we get into the final portion of the book, a few housekeeping announcements. Number one, I think this podcast and a regular newsletter, which was my initial plan, is a bit too much. For those of you who know me, it's no surprise that I might initially bite off a little bit more than I can chew. So I feel like this podcast is something I really enjoy doing more than the newsletter. So moving forward, this is going to be something I do every week, and the newsletter might be more infrequently, perhaps monthly or or maybe even less than that. Also, number two, we now have a Facebook group, um, so feel free to join that if you're listening. We will have weekly Zoom sessions where we go through text together. Feel free to join the group, and the link will be in the show notes for that. And number three, the next work that we are going to go through is Herbert McCabe's book, God Matters. And I'll have a link to where you can buy that in the show notes. And finally, stay to the very end of the episode today, because after the closing song, I'll be doing a reading of St. Anselm's Three Prayers to Mary. As you'll see, these prayers are pertinent to what Anselm discusses in this unit of text that we're going to go through today. With all that out of the way, let's jump into our text this week. Last week, we heard Anselm answer a series of questions about the Incarnation. In what way was it necessary for the God-man to come? How did the God-man come? And is it possible for the God-man to die? We pick up today in chapter 12 of Book 2, in which Boso asks the question, Will the God-man be miserable because he shares in our weaknesses? In response to this, Anselm explains that happiness is not made up of advantages which one has apart from a choice. For example, if one is born into a family with a lot of money, they didn't choose this. They'll always know they didn't earn the money themselves, and so we can't say they're truly happy just because they were born into an advantageous situation. Likewise, there is no misery in bearing a loss when the choice is wise and made without compulsion. For example, if I have my friends over for an evening of fellowship and feasting, I'm going to spend a lot of money on food and alcohol. But it's not an occasion for misery. I'm not being compulsed to do that, and I'm doing it because I want to. I'm giving in a way that is good. Similarly, the God-man comes to us not from being compelled, but of his own free will, because of his compassion and his love, and therefore he is not miserable. Boso asks an important question here at the beginning of chapter 13, then. Will the God-man inherit ignorance as he does other infirmities? And initially, the question causes Anselm to scorn asking Boso if he doubts the omnipotence of God. And Boso clarifies that he's not doubting the omnipotence of God, but wonders that because the God-man is immortal in respect to his divine nature and mortal in his humanity, why he wouldn't be like us in ignorance and mortality. I'll pause here and briefly state that while this position might seem laughable to Anselm in his context and his day, It's a more serious issue that we face in our day because of the rise of canonic Christology, that is, conceptions of the incarnate word as setting aside his divine powers in order to be more fully human. In fact, this very issue of Christ's knowledge is one where canonicists carve out their position. 
For example, when Christ asks who touched him after the woman with internal bleeding reached out and grabbed his garment in Mark 5, 21 through 34, or St. Matthew 9, 18 through 26, or St. Luke 8, 43 to 48, they argue that the question is because Jesus really didn't know who touched him. So this very much maps onto the conversation that Anselm and Boso are having. There's nothing new under the sun. Anselm says that the incarnation occurs according to the highest wisdom of God. This means that Christ takes nothing that is useless or a hindrance, and ignorance is not useful. The God-man could perfectly comprehend the good at all times. Now, I'm doing my thesis on the work of a figure named Hugh of St. Victor, a theologian who lived shortly after the time of Anselm. And according to Hugh, ignorance and vice are mutually related effects of the fall. Prior to the first sin, Adam and Eve had a full knowledge of God, creation, and themselves. In the fall, they lost that knowledge. Ignorance leads to vice, and vice leads to ignorance. Sin locks us in this vicious cycle. With this understanding, then, it's virtually impossible to assent to the proposition that the God-man would have embraced ignorance even while he didn't always openly show his all-knowingness in his interactions with people. Plus, we could offer more counterexamples where Christ does exhibit a knowledge that can't be explained by normal means, seeing Nathaniel under the tree at the beginning of John, knowing that the woman in the well had five husbands, the prediction of Peter's trifold apostasy, etc. This causes Boso to ask a clarification question, though. What about in the infancy of Christ, when he didn't need full knowledge? Well, Anselm's answer doesn't change. God couldn't have wisely assumed ignorance, which is always harmful. So the God-man is always fully God, and therefore it is, not, it is nonsensical to say that he ever lacked divine power, firmness, or wisdom, even as a baby. In chapter 14, with questions about the divine person out of the way, Boso turns his attention to the effects of the atonement. How can his death outweigh the number and magnitude of our sins? Because even the least sin can bring about the destruction of an infinite number of worlds because of that double debt owed to God. And like a good teacher, Anselm answers these questions with questions. He's very Socratic in his method here. First, he says, If the God-man were present in the conversation, would Boso be willing to kill him to save the whole universe? And this question elicits an emphatic no from Boso. So Anselm asks a follow-up. How about if you don't kill him, all the sins committed would be heaped onto you? And Boso nobly answers that he'd rather bear all the sins of all possible worlds than give even the slightest injury to the God-man. And why does the thought of hurting Christ cause Boso to recoil so vehemently? Because, Boso acknowledges, to sin against him exceeds comparison of all sins. It is uniquely bad because the God-man's righteousness demands respect. He doesn't deserve any wrong to come to him. Anselm also reminds us, that life is more lovely than sins are odious, so that man's life is so great that it can pay for the sins of the world. 
Jesus' life has infinite value. And this causes Anselm to conclude that if then to lay down life is the same as to suffer death, as the gift of his life surpasses all the sins of men, so will also the suffering of his death. Does his innocence create a problem, though? This is what Boso wonders, because if it's as great an evil to slay him as his life is good, how can his death overcome the sin of his killers? It seems like they would be exempt from redemption. This would be a more serious objection to St. Anselm if Christ was killed willingly and knowingly by all of the actors involved. But he appeals to 1 Corinthians 2.8, which says none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's not directly stated in the text at this juncture, but we could probably invoke Luke 23.34 here too, when Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This conversation prompts Boso to inquire about the sinlessness of the Christ. We've spent so much time talking about the degree of the God-man's innocence that it raises an important question. How does God become man without inheriting sin when humanity is wholly tainted by it? The virgin, Boso said, was conceived in sin. Now, it's important at this point to say a little bit about the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception is the idea that Mary was born without the stain of original sin. Effectively, God applied to her the benefits of baptism at the moment of her conception. This was not a formalized doctrine in Anselm's day. In fact, the way Boso poses the question, and that the premise isn't really rebutted by Anselm, implies that Anselm did not hold the view of the Immaculate Conception. This does not imply, however, that St. Anselm had a low view of Mary in the slightest. If you stay tuned at the end of the episode, after the closing song, I will include a reading of his three prayers to Mary, which will prove that he had a very high view of Our Lady. Indeed, I think you can argue Anselm actually does pave the way for the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception for a few reasons. Namely, A, he, he does argue that Mary is the purest being. And B, he unhitches the biological aspect of sin being passed down through sex and makes original sin a feature of the human condition. Parents who are sinners can only produce offspring that are infected by original sin. So, to answer Boso's question, Anselm doesn't really have the framework of the Immaculate Conception, which would give him an easy out. But... He does revisit a point that he's made earlier in the work, which is the distinction that falls under the term power, namely the difference between a disposition and the act itself. So Christ had the power to lie, but not the disposition or the desire to do so. So in that sense, we say Christ couldn't lie because his nature was of a sort that wouldn't wish to lie in the first place. But if he wished to lie, he could have, certainly. In relation to the Incarnation, this means that Christ acts by who he is. He didn't wish to avoid death, even though he certainly had the power to. He wished to become incarnate so that he could die for humanity. This is not an externally constrained action done out of necessity, but it is freely embraced and maintained in God's unchangeableness. 
this is another area where the impassibility of God becomes a very comforting doctrine for us. What God wishes takes the place of necessity. Christ died not out of necessity. He died of his own power, by his own free choice, because his will is the will of God. And of course, it's important for us to remember that God isn't an agent among agents within the causal chain that makes up the world. That would not do with St. Anselm's definition of God as, the, as greater than that which can be conceived. All that is is the simple will of God which chooses that truth which is the same because he is the truth. The God-man then didn't die on account of external necessity, but Christ gave himself freely. In doing it this way, he set an example for us to not turn aside from holiness because it requires sacrifice. He couldn't show us that better path, that new way to be human, if he hadn't died. And it's here that we see another intersection with the idea of moral example atonement theory. To close chapter 18, St. Anselm says, The Son freely gave himself to the Father, for thus we plainly affirm that in speaking of one person, we understand the whole deity to whom as man he offered himself. And by the names of Father and Son, a wondrous depth of devotion is excited in the hearts of the hearers when it is said that the Son supplicates the Father on our behalf. But how do we receive the benefits won for us by the passion of our Lord. Well, given that the Son freely gives of himself and deserves a reward from the Father, it raises a question. What could God possibly give God as a reward when he already has everything? So the reward is given to someone else. It's given from the Father to whomever the Son desires, those who are in Christ. This is true compassion. This is a compassion that is greater than that which can be conceived. And so, in 2.20, Anselm summarizes it beautifully, and I'll let him close us out for our reading of Curdeus Hamo. He says, quote, For what compassion in excel these words of the Father, addressed to the sinner doomed to eternal torments, and having no way of escape, take my only begotten Son, and make him an offering for yourself. Or these words of the Son, take me and ransom your souls. Well, thanks for listening to From Cell to Wine Cellar, a close reading podcast. Stay tuned after the closing songs for a reading of St. Anselm's Prayers to Mary. Our theme song is A Minor Struggle by Ryan Saranick. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it while you're at it. And while you're subscribing to things, make sure to follow the sacramentalists wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime...
A Prayer to St. Mary, Number 1, When the Mind is Weighed Down with Heaviness. Mary, Holy Mary, among the holy ones, the most holy after God, mother with virginity to be wondered at, virgin with fertility to be cherished, you bore the Son of the Most High and brought forth the Savior of the lost human race. Lady shining before all others with such sanctity, preeminent with such dignity, it is very sure that you are not least in power and in honor. Life-bearer, mother of salvation, shrine of goodness and mercy, I long to come before you in my misery, sick with the sickness of vice, in pain from the wounds of crimes, putrid with the ulcers of sin. However near I am to death, I reach out to you, and I long to ask that by your powerful merits and your loving prayers you will deign to heal me. Good lady, a huge dullness is between you and me, so that I am scarcely aware of the extent of my sickness. I am so filthy and stinking that I am afraid you will turn your merciful face from me. So I look to you to convert me, but I am held back by despair, and even my lips are shut against prayer. My sins are my wicked deeds. Since you have destroyed my soul with your poison, why do you make it a horror with your filth so that no one can look on my misery? If your weight is so great that I have no hope of being heard, why by your shame do you block the voice of my prayer? If you have made me mad with love for you, why have you made my senses unfeeling with your torpor? Alas, what a shameful thing is the filth of sin before the brightness of holiness. Alas, what confusion there is for an impure conscience in the presence of shining purity. You are blessed above all women, in purity surpassing the angels, in goodness overpassing the saints. Already dying, I long to be seen by such kindness, but I blush before the gaze of such purity. What I want to ask you, lady, is that by a glance from your mercy, you will cure the sickness and ulcers of my sins, but before you I am confounded by the smell and foulness of them. I shudder, lady, to show you all my foul state, lest it makes you shudder at the sight of me. But, alas for me, I cannot be seen any other way. How disturbed and confused is the state of sin! How my sins tear my heart in pieces and divide it, gnaw at it and torment it! Because of these sins of mine, lady, I desire to come to you and be cured but I flee from you for fear of being cursed. My sins cannot be cured unless they are confessed, but to acknowledge them throws me into confusion. If they are concealed, they cannot be healed. If they are seen, they are detestable. They chafe me with sorrow. They terrify me with fear. They bury me with their weight. They press upon me heavily and confound me with shame. Mary, powerful in goodness, and good in power, from whom was born the fount of mercy. I pray you do not withhold such true mercy, where you know there is such true misery. The brightness of your holiness confounds the darkness of my sins. 
but surely you will not blush to feel kindness towards such a wretch. If I acknowledge my iniquity, surely you will not refuse to show kindness. If my misery is too great to be heard favorably, surely your mercy will be less than it ought to be. Lady before God, and before you my sins appear vile, and therefore so much the more do they need his healing and your help. Most gentle lady, heal my weakness, and you will be taking away the filth that offends you. Most kind lady, take away my sickness, and you will not experience the dirt you shudder at. Most dear lady, do not let what grieves you be, and there will be nothing to defile your holiness. Hear me, lady, and make whole the soul of a sinner who is your servant by virtue of the blessed fruit of your womb, who sits at the right hand of his Almighty Father and is praised and glorified above all forever. Amen. A prayer to St. Mary number 2, when the mind is anxious with fear. Virgin venerated throughout the world, mother dear to the human race, woman marvel of the angels, Mary most holy. By your blessed virginity, you have made all integrity sacred, and by your gracious childbearing, you have brought salvation to all fruitfulness. Great Lady, to you the joyous company of the saints give thanks, to you the fearful crowd of the accused flee, and to you, Lady of might and mercy, I flee a sinner every way, beyond measure distressed. Lady, it seems to me as if I were already before the all-powerful justice of the stern judge, facing the intolerable vehemence of his wrath, while hanging over me is the enormity of my sins and the huge torments they deserve. Most gentle lady whose intercession I should implore when I am troubled with horror and shake with fear, but hers whose womb embrace the reconciliation of the world. Whence should I most surely hope for help, quickly in need, but from her whence I know came the world's propitiation? Who can more easily gain pardon for the accused by her intercession than she who gave milk to him, who justly punishes or mercifully pardons all and each one? Most blessed lady, it is not possible for you to forget that those merits which are so specially yours are very necessary to us. Most gentle lady, it is not credible that you should not pity the pitiable supplicants. Well, the world knows, and we sinners do not in any way hide it from the world. We know well enough, lady, who is the Son of Man, and to what sons of men he came to seek that which was lost. Lady, mother of my hope, surely you will not forget in hatred of me what you so mercifully brought into the world, so happily revealed and lovingly embraced. The Son of Man in his goodness came, of his own free will to save that which was lost. How can the mother of God not care when the lost cry to her? The Son of Man came to call sinners to repentance, how can the mother of God despise the prayers of the repentant? The good God, the gentle man, the merciful Son of God, 
the good Son of Man, came to seek the sinner who had strayed. And will you, good Mother of the Man, mighty Mother of God, repel wretches who pray to you? O human virgin, of you was born a human God to save sinners, and see before both son and mother is a human sinner penitent and confessing, groaning and praying. I beg you both, good Lord and good lady, dear son and dear mother, by this truth, which is the only hope of sinners, that you will be her son and you will be his mother to save this sinner. Thus let the sinner be absolved and cared for, healed and saved. In this he shows himself to be your sinner, as indeed he is, for he knows you to be both son and mother for the salvation of sinners. Indeed I am the sinner who belongs to you both. When I have sinned against the son, I have alienated the mother. Nor can I offend the mother without hurting the son. What will you do then, sinner? Where will you flee? Who can reconcile me to the son if the mother is my enemy? Or who will make my peace with the mother if I have angered the son? Surely if I have offended you both equally, you will both also be merciful. So the accused flees from the just God to the good mother of the merciful God. The accused finds refuge from the mother he has offended in the good son of the kind mother. The accused is carried from one to the other and throws himself between the good son and the good mother. Dear Lord, spare the servant of your mother. Dear Lady, spare the servant of your son. Good son, make your servant's peace with your mother. Good mother, reconcile your son to your servant. When I throw myself between two of such unbounded goodness, I shall not fall under the severity of their power. Good son, good mother, do not let me confess this truth about you in vain, lest I blush for hoping in your goodness. I love the truth I confess about you, and I beg for that goodness which I hope for from you. Tell me, judge of the world, whom you will spare, Tell me, reconciler of the world, whom you will reconcile, if you, Lord, condemn, and you, lady, turn away your goodness and love from this little man who confesses his sin with sorrow. Savior of each one, tell me whom you will save. Mother of salvation, tell me for whom you will pray, if it is by your command, Lord, and with your consent, lady, that torments vex the sinner who blames himself and prays to you, that hell absorbs the prisoner who accuses himself and entreats you, that Tartarus devours the poor man who despairs of himself and hopes in you. God who was made the son of a woman out of mercy, woman who was made mother of God out of mercy, have mercy upon this wretch, you forgiving, you interceding, or show the unhappy man to whom he may flee for safety and point out in whose power he may more certainly confide. If it is, or rather because it is, that my sin is so great and my faith so small, so cool my love, so feeble my prayer, so imperfect my satisfaction that I deserve neither the forgiveness of sins nor the grace of salvation, for this very reason I ask that in whatever way you see that my merits are not sufficient for me, There in your mercy you will not be found wanting. 
so I ask you to hear me, by your own merits rather than mine, so that by the goodness you pour forth, and by the power in which you abound, I may escape the sorrows of damnation which I deserve, and enter into the joy of the blessed, to praise you, God, who are worthy to be praised and exalted forever. Amen. A prayer to St. Mary, number three, to ask for her and Christ's love. Mary, great Mary, most blessed of all Marys, greatest among all women, great lady beyond measure, I long to love you with all my heart. I want to praise you with my lips. I desire to venerate you in my understanding. I love to pray to you from my deepest being. I commit myself wholly to your protection. Heart of my soul, stir yourself up as much as ever you can, if you can do anything at all, and let all that is within me praise the good Mary has done, love the blessing she has received, wonder at her loftiness, and beseech her kindness, for I need her defense daily, and in my need I desire, implore, and beseech it, and if it is not according to my desire, at least let it be above or rather contrary to what I deserve. Queen of Angels, Lady of the World, Mother of Him who cleanses the world, I confess that my heart is unclean, and I am rightly ashamed to turn towards such cleanness, but I turn towards it to be made clean in order to come to it. Mother of him who is the light of my heart, nurse of him who is the strength of my soul, I pray to you with my whole heart, to the extent of my powers. Hear me, lady, answer me, most mighty helper, let this filth be washed from my mind. Let my darkness be illuminated, my lukewarmness blaze up, my listlessness be stirred. For in your blessed holiness you are exalted above all, after the highest of all your Son. Through your omnipotent Son, with your glorious Son, by your blessed Son. So as being above all after the Lord, who is my God, and my all, your Son, in my heart I know and worship you, love you, and ask for your affection, not because of my imperfect desires, but because it belongs to your Son to make and to save, to redeem and bring back to life. Mother of the life of my soul, nurse of the Redeemer of my flesh, who gave suck to the Savior of my whole being. But what am I saying? My tongue fails me, for my love is not sufficient. Lady, lady, I am very anxious to thank you for so much but I cannot think of anything worthy to say to you, and I am ashamed to offer you anything unworthily. But how can I speak worthily of the mother of the Creator and Savior, by whose sanctity my sins are purged, by whose integrity incorruptibility is given me, by whose virginity my soul falls in love with its Lord and is married to its God? What can I worthily tell of the mother of my Lord and God by whose fruitfulness I am redeemed from captivity, by whose childbearing I am brought forth from eternal death, by whose offspring I who was lost am restored and led back from my unhappy exile to my blessed homeland? Blessed among all women, 
All these things were given to me by the blessed fruit of your womb, through his baptism of regeneration, some in fact, others in hope, yet by sinning I put all away from me, so that now I have nothing and scarcely any hope. What then? If they vanished because of my guilt, surely I will not be ungrateful to her, by whom so many good things came to me. Stop, lest I add iniquity upon iniquity. I give great thanks for what I have had. I weep for what I have not. I pray so that I may have them again. For I am sure that since through the Son I could receive grace, I can receive it again through the merits of the Mother. Therefore, Lady, gateway of life, door of salvation, way of reconciliation, approach to recovery. I beg you by the salvation born of your fruitfulness, see to it that my sins be pardoned, and the grace to live well be granted me, and even to the end keep this your servant under your protection. Palace of universal propitiation, cause of general reconciliation, vase and temple of life and universal salvation, I have made too little of your praises, and in a little man like me it is especially vile to belittle your merits. For the world rejoices in your love, and so proclaims what you have done for it. O lady, to be wondered at for your unparalleled virginity, to be venerated for a holiness beyond all reckoning, you show to the world its Lord and its God, whom it had not known. You show to the sight of all the world its Creator, whom it had not seen. You gave birth to the Restorer of the world, for whom the lost world longed. You brought forth the world's reconciliation, which, in its guilt, it did not have before. Through your fruitfulness, lady, the sinner is cleansed and justified. The condemned is saved and the exile is restored. Your offspring, lady, redeemed the world from captivity, made the whole sick, gave life to the dead. The world was wrapped in darkness, surrounded and oppressed by demons under which it lay. But from you alone light was born into it, which broke its bonds and trampled underfoot their power. Heaven, stars, earth, waters, day and night, and whatever was in the power or use of men was guilty. They rejoice now, lady, that they lost that glory, for a new and ineffable grace has been given them through you. They are brought back to life and give thanks. For all things were as if dead, since they had lost that inborn dignity by virtue of which they were ruled and used to praise, used to the praise of God, for which they were made. They were buried by oppression and tainted by being used in the service of idols, for which they were not made. But see now how they are raised to life and praise the Lord, for they are ruled by the power of those who confess God and are honored by the use they put them to. And now they bound with joy in a new and inestimable grace. For they know the very God, the Creator, not only ruling invisibly over them all, but visibly among them, sanctifying them by use. So much good has come into the world through the blessed fruit of Mary's womb. But, lady, why do I only speak of the benefits to which you fill the earth? They go down to hell, they go up to heaven. For through the fullness of your grace, those in hell rejoice that they are delivered, and those in heaven are glad at the restoration. 
by the glorious Son of your virginity, all just men who died before his birth exalt that their captivity is broken down, and the angels wish each other joy in the rebuilding of their half-ruined city. A woman uniquely to be wondered at, and to be wondered at for your uniqueness. By you the elements are renewed, hell is redeemed, demons are trampled down, and men are saved. Even the fallen angels are restored to their place. A woman full and overflowing with grace, plenty flows from you to make all creatures green again. O virgin blessed and ever blessed, whose blessing is upon all nature, not only is the creature blessed by the Creator, but the Creator is blessed by the creature too. O highly exalted, when the love of my heart tries to follow you, whither do you escape the keenness of my sight? O beautiful to gaze upon, lovely to contemplate, delightful to love, whither do you go to evade the breath of my heart? Lady, wait for the weakness of him who follows you. Do not hide yourself, seeing the littleness of the soul that seeks you. Have mercy, lady, upon the soul that pants after you with longing. A thing to be wondered at. At what a height do I behold the place of Mary? Nothing equals Mary, nothing but God is greater than Mary. God gave his own Son, who alone from his heart was born equal to him, loved as he loves himself to Mary, and of Mary was then born a son, not another but the same one, that naturally one might be the Son of God and of Mary. All nature is created by God, and God is born of Mary. God created all things, and Mary gave birth to God. God who made all things made himself of Mary, and thus he refashioned everything he had made. He who was able to make all things out of nothing refused to remake it by force, but first became the son of Mary. So God is the father of all created things, and Mary is the mother of all recreated things. God is the father of all that is established, and Mary is the mother of all that is reestablished. For God gave birth to him by whom all things were made, and Mary brought forth him by whom all are saved. God brought forth him without whom nothing is. Mary bore him without whom nothing is good. O truly the Lord is with you, to whom the Lord gave himself, that all nature in you might be in him. Mary, I beg you by that grace, through which the Lord is with you, and you will to be with him. Let your mercy be with me. Let love for you always be with me, and the care of me be always with you. Let the cry of my need, as long as it persists, be with you and the care of your goodness, as long as I need it, be with me. Let joy in your blessedness be always with me, and compassion for my wretchedness where I need it be with you. O most blessed, all that turns away from you, and that you oppose, must needs be lost, and equally it is not possible that whatever turns to you and you regard with favor should perish. For just as Lady God begat him, in whom all things live. So, O flower of virginity, you bore him by whom the dead are raised up. And as God through his Son keeps the blessed angels from sin, so, O glory of purity, through your Son you save unhappy men who have sinned. For just as in some way the Son of God is the bliss of the just, 
So in some way, O rich in saving grace, your Son is the reconciliation of sinners. For there is no reconciliation except that which you conceived in chastity. There is no salvation except that you brought forth as a virgin. Therefore, lady, you are mother of justifier and the justified, bearer of reconciliation and the reconciled, parent of salvation and of the saved. Blessed assurance, safe refuge, the mother of God is our mother, the mother of him in whom alone we have hope, whom alone we fear is our mother. The mother of him who alone saves and condemns is our mother. You are blessed and exalted, not for yourself alone, but for us too. What great and loving thing is this that I see coming to us through you? Seeing it, I rejoice and hardly dare to speak of it. For if you, lady, are his mother, surely then your sons are his brothers. But who are the brothers, and of whom? Shall I speak out of the rejoicing of my heart, or shall I be silent in case it is too high for me to mention? But if I believe and love, why should I not confess it with praise? So let me speak not out of pride, but with thanksgiving. For he was born of a mother to take our nature, and to make us, by restoring our life, sons of his mother. He invites us to confess ourselves his brethren, so our judge is our brother, the Savior of the world is our brother, And finally, our God, through Mary, is our brother. With what confidence, then, ought we to hope, and thus consoled, how can we fear, when our salvation or damnation hangs on the will of a good brother and a devoted mother? With what affection should we love this brother and this mother? With what familiarity should we commit ourselves to them? With what security may we flee to them? For our good brother forgives us when we sin, and turns away from us what our errors deserve. He gives us what in penance penitence we ask. The good mother prays and beseeches for us. She asks and pleads that he may hear us favorably. She pleads with the Son on behalf of the sons, the only begotten for the adopted, the Lord for the servants. The good son hears the mother on behalf of his brothers, the only begotten for those he has adopted the Lord for those he has set free. Mary, how much we owe you, mother and lady, by whom we have such a brother. What thanks and praise can we return to you? Great Lord, our elder brother, great lady, our best of mothers, teach my heart a sweet reverence in thinking of you. You are good, and so are you. You are gentle, and so are you. Speak and give my soul the gift of remembering you with love, delighting in you, rejoicing in you, so that I may come to you. Let me rise up to your love, desiring to be always with you. My heart is sick of love, my soul melts in me, my flesh fails. If only my inmost being might be on fire with the sweet fervor of your love, so that my outer being of flesh might wither away. If only the spirit within me might come close to the sweetness of your love, so that the marrow of my body might be dried up. Lord, Son of my Lady, Lady, Mother of my Lord, if I am not worthy of the bliss of your love, certainly you are not unworthy of being so greatly loved. So, most kind, do not refuse what I ask, for though I confess I am not worthy of it, you cannot worthily refuse it. 
Give me according to my desire when I pray, but something that will be worth your loving. Give me, unworthy as I am, something that I can worthily give back to you. If you are not willing to give according to my desire, at least do not refuse to give what I ought to give back to you. Perhaps I am presumptuous to speak, but the goodness of you both makes me bold. So I speak thus to my Lord and my Lady, I who am dust and ashes. Lord and Lady, surely it is much better for you to give grace to those who do not deserve it than for you to exact what is owing to you in injustice. The first is praiseworthy, the other is wicked injustice. Give us then your grace, so that you may receive what is owing to you. Show me your mercy, for I need it, and it is right for you to give it, lest I act towards you unjustly, which no one needs and is no good to anyone. Be merciful to me, because I ask it, lest I be unjust towards you by whom I am cursed. Kind Lord and Lady, do not make it difficult to pray to you, but give my soul your love, which not unjustly it asks, and you justly expect it to ask, lest I be ungrateful for your good gifts, because of that which in injustice it shudders at, and you not unjustly punish. Surely Jesus, Son of God, and Mary his mother, you both want, and it is only right, that whatever you love, we should love too. So, good son, I ask you through the love you have for your mother, that as she truly loves you and you her, you will grant that I may truly love her. Good mother, I ask that by the love you have for your son, that as he truly loves you and you him, you will grant that I may love him truly. For see, I am asking what it is indeed your will to do. For why does he not act as my sins deserve when it is in his power? Lover and ruler of mankind, you could love those who accused you even to death, and can you refuse when you are asked those who love you and your mother? Mother of our lover who carried him in her womb and was willing to give him milk at her breast, are you not able, or are you unwilling, to grant your love to those who ask it? So I venerate you both, as far as my mind is worthy to do so. I love you both, as far as my heart is equal to it. I prefer you both, as much as my soul can, and I serve you both, as far as my flesh may. And in this, let my life be consummated, that for all eternity, all my being may sing, Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen.